Welcome to Landline Podcast, a triumphant return to conversations that used to be important. On today's show, a member of Alex's family. Here's your host, Alex McKay. Test, test, test. Happy Thanksgiving, Landline. Sorry for the late report. I told you at the beginning of the season that we would do a school schedule for this year. So anytime school is in session, I'd be potting, and anytime it wasn't, I wouldn't. And I've sort of followed that, but in classic Thanksgiving week session, in classic Thanksgiving week style, I've basically submitted this one late and without much editing. So enjoy an old school version of Landline Podcast, one long form interview with my father in the Columbia River Gorge. You'll hear more about the details in the pod. Not a lot of sound editing, not a lot of content editing. I'm just going to let it ride. It's kind of perfect for the Thanksgiving holiday where you want to just go back to what was good enough in the past, which was a voiceover, a nice bluegrass intro song, and an interview with someone important in my life talking about stuff that people don't normally talk about on the internet. Quick note on Thanksgiving. Uh, I woke up on last Saturday morning and I was all a tizzy with my wife saying, we got to do a podcast today. I have all this stuff I need to tell the United States of America about how to properly execute Thanksgiving. And I had like three cups of coffee and then went to the farmer's market and was going to take all these notes and then tell everyone. And then I kind of crashed from the coffee and my son went out for a nap and I just wanted to lie on the couch and not do anything, which is kind of the story of trying to create something and then getting too lazy. But the point is this, I do have a lot of passion about Thanksgiving. And before we get to the interview, and for those first listeners, don't worry, there's other podcasts that are more cogent than this one, but I'm taking a little Thanksgiving landline for myself because I'm thankful for the audience and I want to reconnect, especially to you in Australia, and say that for me, I can boil all of my millions of Thanksgiving opinions down to the fact that to me, Thanksgiving is like Earth Day, that we no longer really need to connect with this idea of Puritan settlers leaving Europe to come to the United States and then almost starving to death because of a cold winter and getting fed by the natives with squash and corns and beans to stay alive and being thankful that someone else provided because we wiped all those people out with smallpox and organized genocide. So I don't think that that's what we should be thankful for. But I do think that we, because we're so obsessed with food and so obsessed with eating, remember that what Thanksgiving has turned into is a holiday around the consumption of food, but that what it really should be is the same love for food with a respect for this living, breathing being that provides the food for us, which is the earth. And I think all of my pretentious, angry, um, offensive points of view on the Thanksgiving dinner are really a reflection of that nice sediment that if you are wondering what to cook or wondering whether to go with tradition or wonder, wondering, wondering whether to try something new or mixing it up or what should I make or there's only two of us and do I have to make all the side dishes and so-and-so loves this and auntie loves that and blah, 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 blah. Why don't you just draw a line in the sand and say to yourself, this is supposed to be a celebration of the harvest bounty and the the mother earth that provides and being thankful to be able to take a day off and sit around a table and eat and eat with you know plentiful amount and please don't buy things that are packaged in plastic bags and shipped across the country in an air-conditioned truck and please don't buy things that are hideously out of season and were sent internationally and please don't buy things that are cheap just because 
they're on sale because they're trying to move a bunch of product. Not because you are a Democrat, but because the entire idea of Thanksgiving will die unless we continue to respect the earth. And there is nothing more painfully ironic than celebrating the earth and the consumption of food by eating food that is actively working against the perpetual survival of the being that feeds us. So with that, I'll jump to a light conversation between my father and I on Thanksgiving, but maybe sacrificing what your family has been eating for the last 85 years for something that was grown within a couple hundred miles of you and doesn't have a bunch of extra packaging is a good next step towards making new Thanksgiving traditions that will preserve the very existence of the holiday itself. Because I can tell you that a bunch of, you know, Soylent Green and like Liptide Keto Coffee, whatever it's called. What is it you eat, Phoebe? I'll think of it. Collagen implants in your coffee isn't going to feel that good. You're going to want to once a year go back to turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing, gravy, Brussels sprouts, turnips, whatever it is, prunes and chestnuts. And you're going to want to go back to that and a fire and a board game and a football game on mute and some nice music. And if we've ruined all the farmland and sucked up all the oxygen, that can't happen. So with that, eat some good food. Happy Thanksgiving. Landline. Landline. Okay, Landline Podcast on the road here in Eastern Oregon, our first view of the Columbia River. And, uh, Dad, have you ever listened to the podcast? I have not. I've listened to people making it, um, such as uh, Linda McKay. And I don't know if I told you um, how much... Uh, perhaps a, a listener that you're not uh, familiar with, uh, Carol Benchley. Oh. Yeah. When um, I stopped in a couple of weeks ago, um, she brought it up. We had a nice chat, and um, she's listened to several. I can't tell you which ones. So that she's a fan, obviously. Yes, and um, she finds it stimulating, which is, I'm sure, what you're after. Well, so the whole idea is a, well, it's trying to be many things, which is why it's probably having its struggles like anything that doesn't have a proper brand. But at its core, it's representing the time prior to cell phones and the internet becoming such a specific part of our lives so we had a landline growing up i knew my phone number do you remember your phone number from nashua when you were growing up 882 ah the prefix was tuxedo which was 88 882 oh boy that's bad that's a i have not been asked that in many years i do remember that um, maybe they added the prefix like Scott said at one time you had you had four digits I don't remember it before that uh, I do remember and I think it was because he was a doctor the springs next door his was like um, 882-2123 or something I'm, I'm sure that Dave Spring could remember what it was but great question so um, we're, my son is going to grow up in a world where he never has to call anybody else's house and say, may I please speak to. And if you think about all the problems that we see with youth today, and a lot of youth are great, but this whole idea of they exist now outside of society and are loners and are on video games and on their phones, even that one tiny anecdote is sort of representative of a lot of what Landline Podcast is about, which is some of the old-fashioned fun we used to have has been completely overshadowed by the glitz and glamour of the internet and of smartphones and so landline tries to have conversations that are not usually had um, in today's media because all of today's media is so dictated by 
the modern age. Um, so you're yeah. almost too landline to be included as a guest. You've almost you're almost like beyond our our listeners' scope of understanding, and that's one of the reasons I haven't asked you yet. But one of the topics I wanted to talk to you about was hitchhiking, um, which we're going to do. But let's just set the scene here. We're in Eastern Oregon in a rented Nissan Sentra. We really don't want to get in an accident because we know this cheap Chinese sheet metal isn't going to hold up. And um, you decided instead of flying to come see me across the entire country that you would drive from Omaha, which is a pretty landline move. Why did you want to drive by yourself from Omaha to Portland? I hadn't been across the country in a while, uh, particularly west of Iowa, and I'd flown over it a few times to visit you, but um, I wanted to see the West, and I thought that, you know, fairly early November would be okay as far as the weather went on the high parts of of Wyoming, and uh, it was a few places I wanted to see uh, what I don't much like the term bucket list, but it tells you, uh, it tells listener what it's about, uh, starting with the Golden Spike Tower, uh, which is in Grand Island, Nebraska, um, that overlooks the world's largest uh, rail yard where there's all this switching going on. Uh, you can watch it online, put in Golden Spike Tower. Uh, there's a 24-hour um, TV feed, but uh, internet feed. But uh, that was one of the places. And um, another was uh, Craters of the Moon uh, National Park. And so you also did it without a smartphone, although I think there's some news there. So you're one of the only people that anybody knows who doesn't have a smartphone. And I, as your son, with a podcast called Landline, who's constantly battling against my own demons with technology... Is I'm sort of disappointed, but it sounds like you're coming over to our, to the other side. Um, do you have? Is there was there a specific scenario this trip that tipped the scales? Uh, well, I it would have been somewhat helpful when you're alone driving. You certainly can't look at it to see to use the map feature. Um, I probably would have used it on a couple of occasions. Yes, um, but I, let me say this, that when I take over a smartphone from your mother when she upgrades, um, I don't know if I'm going to use it enough to become that proficient. Oh, here's another reason, <laughs> because a few months ago I was uh, advised by our good friend Judy Overting that 2G is going out of use next summer so that I have to get a new one. Gotcha. Look, uh, let me point out, looking across the river, uh, that was the road that um, I biked with a group in the July of 2000 Wow! on the Washington side. But not where the trucks are. Yeah, sure. Wow. How, was that comfortable? Was it closed? No, it was open, right? No, they were doing some paving, though, at one point. Um, we stayed near uh, Umatilla, and then the next morning is perhaps the one that I remember most vividly. The wind comes up the uh, river, of course, and we were headed for uh, Walla Walla, and before you turn east to Walla Walla, you sort of head north upriver, and very largely you could sit on the bike, hold your arms out, and it was a sail. Uh, it was very early on a Sunday morning with no traffic on this side of the river. It was memorable. Mm. Yep. Beautiful Columbia is opening up besides us. All right. So you're, you, you're come, you're going to get a smartphone. Um, you know, I tried to get you to use the map earlier and you didn't really want to anyways, but I, I think your proficiency is going to be haphazard at best. So I wonder if you end up just kind of getting pissed off at the, at the smartphone once you have it, but that's just going to be a learning curve. Um, your ability to communicate with your grandson will be better, um, and you'll like that, and you'll be able to look at photos of him easier, and I think that that'll be a, an upside. But I guess Landline will check back in later on down the line to see how your cell phone use is going. Um, I imagine that it's going to be less than a smooth transition, so um, there's that. All right, so what, what, how does it felt to, you know, there's a lot going on in the country right now with, you know, mass shootings and elections and 
polarized politics and you've gone from your little zone to the West, which is not your zone and kind of, you know, I'm not, you've been in your own car and isolated yourself like anyone else would in a car, but, um, how, does it make you think at all to get out into the country about kind of the country in general? I'm very happy to do so. Let me tell you that there was only one time, I believe early on in uh, Nebraska, on a barn, I saw a fairly large Trump sign. That is the only indication I think I have seen anywhere in the, what, 2,000 miles uh, I've been. Um, very few political signs at all, except in um, Idaho where uh, there were local signs. But uh, one Trump sign is all I've seen in the entire trip. And do you, is it, does it reiterate our differences to feel the geographic size of the country? I mean, it's just such a giant place, right? With so many different, where we are now with, with, uh, wispy fog beneath a series of windmills in the giant river. It couldn't look diff- more different than where we're from. We might as well be in Africa compared to where you live. So what's your take on that? Uh, my take is that I went through the state with the smallest population, Wyoming. Uh, has just a few thousand, I think, people fewer than Vermont. But it's, what, five times bigger? so that you're in a place where there are very, very few people and um, a whole lot of land. And uh, that's what's made this trip so much fun to see America again and see the and see the West, which is um, you could never populate it. Right. Well, China will probably try in about 150 years. So Let's talk about hitchhiking. One of the things that besides, you know, cribbage and board games and uh, fires and just go outside and ride your bike, all those things that I associate with my youth and sort of the relaxing nature of making fun with what you have of my youth. One of the things that you did pretty early on with me was hitchhike. It was on Nantucket, so it was a pretty sanitary place to do it. But um, you were a you know, um, accomplished hitchhiker in your time and hitchhiking. I don't think it exists anymore unless you're homeless. I mean, it used to be hitchhiking was a quaint thing that prep school kids did. And now Uber Lyft phones have just completely superseded that scary slash sort of community oriented event. Um, so you said you might have some stories about hitchhiking, but like how, how, how much did you use hitchhiking as a kid? Oh, I don't recall using it much until, ooh, I mean, I remember the first, quote, long-distance hitchhike, and that would have been when I was probably 16, or uh, it was in the summer, and it was from the White Mountains back to Nashua. Uh, after I'd been out on a um, hiking trip through the White Mountains with David Spring and a couple of his uh, contemporaries. And, mm, uh, yeah, that, mm, maybe 15, the two of us did remember it vividly. With all your... St- okay, tell us the story. Well, we had been driven to North Conway, um, where Dave had a friend from the summer program um, at Exeter, which he just finished. That guy's parents owned a motel. We stayed there. The next day, the dad drove us up um, to the beginning of the hike, which was um, up Mount Carrigan, which we couldn't believe how hard that was. And then we had about four more nights, I would say, and I could talk for hours on Uh, the recognition of that Uh, I mean the remembrance of it but when it was finished we needed to get back uh, home and we started out and we for years I could remember each one of the rides perhaps now the two things I remember one car we get in in the back seat um, behind the seat on the floor the driver had either empties or a brand new the new style of 
Budweiser glass bottle, mm. which was the sort of the stubby with the um, impressed uh, crest of Budweiser around the neck mm. or, or around the short neck. And that style of, of I think that was maybe even the first stubby I'd ever seen. Um, it was a style thing, and I don't think I remember I drank. I don't think I drank beer by that time. Uh, and then the other one was that you had to watch out <laughs> for the people that were doing you a favor. And I'm going down here, and you'll be able to get a ride, and that's a shortcut. Well, bullshit. It was in um, a famous town, I think Tamworth, New Hampshire, um, this sort of cut-off road that you might take it was where people had uh, some kind of famous dogs. What are the dogs that pull? Um, Huskies uh, or yes, yes, sled dogs. Sled dogs. And he left us in the village, and we were now four or five miles from Maine. Uh, Route 3 or whatever it was uh, north of, of Laconia. So we had to walk, we walked for, and we just walked for a week. And this was flat um, asphalt, and uh, I guess we finally got take, got picked up and taken down to the main drag, and from there we made it home fairly easily. And what, what was that inner, I mean, was it, it was just common knowledge that if kids were, you know, kids in 16, 17, 18 year olds were hitchhiking. There were, I mean, there must have been some sort of, you know, fluency in the world at that point about what was, who was picking up, who was getting picked up, where, you know, there was a common knowledge of what was expected when you got in the car, when the car pulled over. I mean, I don't think a 16-year-old now would know how to hitchhike. So how did you know that it was okay to get in a car? You had buddies, so you didn't care? Or? Um, late, later on, I did it a couple times uh, um, as a single person um now i'm in college age but in that particular case you know i was with a friend i i think you they looked you over and you looked them over to a certain degree i i would say that you probably didn't decline to get into uh someone's car but you could always negotiate where are you going they would ask you where you were going, and you would tell them, and and then you would evaluate whether or not, if you had second question, uh, second thoughts as to where they were going, and whether or not that was a help. And, now, and you know, did um, were there boogeyman stories going around with people, you know, getting kidnapped or sexually assaulted or anything like that? And they, you know, what was. Was it considered unsafe? Would your parents have been pissed if they know you'd been hitchhiking? No. Okay. It was. It was away from A to B. Yes. Yes. Uh, it was a daytime thing. I mean, I don't. Uh, the fact that it had something to do with pre, at that time, um, the transition to the interstates that probably had something to do with the fact that it, it doesn't occur so much now. When I see somebody hitchhiking, uh, and the only place I see them in any kind of regularity is um, at I-89 and 91 in White River, where someone has very likely gotten off the bus and they need to go to some place that the bus just won't get them to or anywhere else will get them to, like Weathersfield, Vermont, or... Um, now maybe those people even use well tip, typically those people wouldn't have a lift account right or a cell phone or maybe they just got out of jail or maybe not i mean who knows that's the thing though everyone has a cell phone you look around portland a bunch of homeless people they all have smartphones so that is the great unifier in today's age is having a smartphone unfortunately i wouldn't say that i see someone hitchhiking there once every six months right you know i mean very occasionally and do you think you took me hitchhiking as a kid to kind of show me hitchhiking or was that just did it not occur to you like that because i now have the challenge as a father of wanting my kid to be exposed to things that will become extinct unless i go out of my way like ticket scalping was another thing we did together which i know how to do and i'm so happy i'm fluent in that 
But once again, you can go on StubHub and, you know, all this, all, everyone has an app and everyone's afraid of buying tickets from a scalper. And yet that is sort of like a very important cash transaction that everyone should have to deal, deal with the emotions around once in their life to understand kind of how the free market economy works. A uh, great point. Uh, I don't recall hitchhiking to you. We're going to town? Yeah, we were. I think we were going to town. I remember hitchhiking a few times with you, and it was probably, I think, just a way to get into town so we didn't have to park, but also um, something to do. I mean, I think I, I would like to hitchhike with my kid, or I'd like to hitchhike again. I mean, I call the landline 503-894-8480 if you want to hitchhike again. Um, because we might need to start a community of people who are interested. Otherwise, you know, it'll never happen again. It's like, um, you know, Civil War reenactors. I think that um, at, at the time, when you were in college, you tried to get a ride with somebody. And um, one thing I'm sort of sorry I never did was when I first lived in Hanover, we started going over to the bulletin board in the, in the hop and started collecting um, all sorts of messages from during the 1970s because, and put them in a um, scrapbook because it would tell a story about what people were doing, what they were going to see, what um, not so much their emotions, but what their needs were uh, because there was always need a ride to right. up there. Right. Need this, need that. And, um, you know, you felt that if... If it was still up there and the date was passed, you could swipe it. But I never did. But that's uh, that was the first preferred method was to get a ride at least part of the way with somebody. Do you think that the world is more efficient now than it was when you were my age? Like, are things are you accomplishing more over the course of a week because that whole sort of bulletin board ride sharing existence that we had truly beautiful here by the way and i'm yeah. sorry that i'm distracted vineyards over there yeah e yeah eastern washington vineyards just pumped that water right out of the columbia irrigate you got sun and hot it hot in the day cool at night tim the winemaker can tell us about that but you know i, I imagine when because everything is becoming exponentially faster and, and more technology related that, you know, when I'm 70-something, happy birthday, by the way, Dad. It's 70, mm -hmm. 73. I don't know if you want to announce that, but it's your yep. bir birthday, you. birthday podcast. Um, there's no more bulletin boards. You don't have to sit around waiting to have someone call and say they're going to Boston. Do you want to catch a ride? Do you feel like your, your life has been improved based on all of these new technologies that have come around? If people don't have experiences to look back on because life is so easy they may say to themselves no how can they say what might have been you can't say what might have been let's say now the stories I have to tell you could only have happened if I had hitchhiked right uh, and I see a situation in which the yeah um there's a uh, is that a trash train over there no i think we send our trash to asia not to the no, interior I, no you send it up the oh that's a those are car racks those are yeah. chinese and korean cars that have come into the west coast going up the uh, washington side on of course on y the union pacific and we're going down a steep hill um for instance what i learned at the beginning of this trip that I better get inside, better get on that plane because they might shut the door. Don't go to buy a sandwich. When you come back, the door is shut and you have missed it. And you learn something. But you did, you went and got the sandwich even though you should probably learn that lesson 40 times, right? I, I feel that way. I, you gave that to me, unfortunately. And, you know, along with needing glasses, I also miss the plane because I have to get a sandwich. So they're just, so, you know, some things are the way they are. Um, yeah. You got here. It wasn't the worst thing in the world. No. Which I think is part of people's whole orientation around Uber and Lyft, but also just getting to X and Y faster and better is if you do miss a plane, you know, who knows? You could strike up a conversation with somebody in a bar, or, you know, next to you reading a book that 
find that turns out to be quite satisfying in its own right. Um, well, a, a call back to um, you. Actually, I told a story about you either last last week on Landline or the week before. You pulled one of the best all time landline related tricks, which was when we went to London when I was about eight. We started collecting those, um, I think they must have been prostitute flyers from all of the um, phone booths because they had a very similar number combination to where you where you go in the summers and you have a big community of friends. So we brought back a stack of them and then you started pinning them up around people's houses by the phones <laughs> at, at their dinner parties um, and then just left them there without saying anything for them to discover. Do you remember that? Uh, yes, that's ephemera. And I'm telling you that the question is, um, did anyone from the British Museum think to collect those? Yeah, they were they were from hookers. Uh, some of them uh, offered special interests. Uh, activity and uh, yeah they're up in in uh, phone boxes aren't they called phone boxes well they're all gone now they're t they're trying to figure out what to do with them or they're taking them off yeah. the streets one of the challenges I've had and you haven't listened but there's been an ongoing thread in the podcast about my dream is to have a phone booth in my house that's all set up as my studio so when I walk in when the phone rings I can hit a light switch and the entire studio comes to life with the microphones and I can have a conversation in it on the phone that's being recorded. I can't get an old phone booth for under two or three grand on eBay. And I just really? don't understand if there's such an oversupply. It's like, you know, trying to buy um, what else has gone out of out of style? Um, you know, a million different things that are completely obsolete. If we're trying to buy an old computer with a, you know, a, a disk drive, et cetera, for some reason, phone booths, I just can't get my hands on them. So I don't know. Maybe the English are sending their phone booths to Africa, like their cars, or there's a secondary market for hipsters like me. I, I don't know. I don't know. What, what about a, uh, what I'm looking for is a old Chrome stand-up microphone. Mm, for what? Uh, that, uh, you know, like a crooner would have. Um, well, actually, what I really want is uh, have you noticed the stick type microphone that um, Freddie Mercury used? Yeah, sure. Like um, almost like game show hosts used to have. Like Bob Barker would have that really long, thin. Yes. Price yes. is right with a tiny little microphone on top. But did Freddie Mercury use that on stage? Yes, because it uh, didn't. It, you might call it a baseless one because it just you could move around with it with a long enough. Um, Wire. It wasn't wireless, and he would go from side to side uh, with that. He would ask for it, and they would pass it to him. Look at the ducks. So, what are what are you going to do with a microphone? Are you starting a, um, a a rivalry podcast? No, but I have a plan, and it might include you. Okay. But um, and there are certain costume events that occur from time to time. Right. And uh, a real microphone would, would add um, a good deal of texture. I don't know the extent you want to expose your own behavior from the past around costume events, but recent events in the news have indicated that some of the social mores would, would not allow some of your past performances in organized costume events. Um, and I think that's directly related to the Internet. Like, for instance, one year you you um, dressed up like Mike Tyson and you really took the costume to the nth degree. Let's put it that way. Um, do you feel that the fun that you and your friends had at those costume events has been like taken out of society based on political correctness being such an echo chamber at this point? Um, let me say I would hope not. We It may be. It may come back. The, the kind of humor that I really am, is, has passed, uh, I'm afraid, and will never come back, um, it's the old Jewish humor. Mel Brooks. Uh, yes. I mean, and uh, all, all that, the Jews making fun of themselves, um, just, uh, it was the best humor, the best humor. Um, but that that hasn't has that gone out of style because I don't think that there's anything 
politically incorrect about that. You can always make fun of yourself. Oh, not necessarily politically incorrect. It's just that those comics who identified themselves right. um, as Jews are not there anymore that I know of. Well, I, I mean, it may also be that your, um, if you consider the Eddie Murphy type of humor, um, if that goes out of fashion, then you've lost something as well. Right. Well, I don't think it has. I mean, you know, as long as Chris Rock and although he's kind of he's on his last legs as, as part of the 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 common, you know, star front of the world. But um, I think that one of the interesting maybe, you know, if we had to analyze why that Jewish humor has gone away is because we're just getting further and further away from the Holocaust and that that humor was a reaction to the lowest low in the sense that now we have the power and we can make fun of ourselves, you know, in the Mel Brooks way. Um, and now the, the, you know, the grandkids of Mel Brooks or at least the kids of the Mel, Mel Brooks age, they aren't as they haven't seen the darkest side of things to make that type of humor, maybe. Or they're too far removed from it. I don't know. It's a working well, theory. Oh, that may be something to do with it. But you see, um, entertainment was one of the things that the Jews learned how to do. Right. And, and uh, maybe they were uh, forced to because there were some uh, aspects of business that they couldn't get into. But the talented ones who came here in um, the high arts and the low arts, um, that was something they knew culturally, uh, whether it was uh, Bernstein, Leonard Bernstein, right. or, or Mel Brooks. But I don't think that's probably taught so much. Or Well, I mean, think about springtime for Hitler in Germany as a song. I mean, that kind of, you know, which is from the producers. I don't know. I think that, you know, that whole, even in Spaceballs, when they say funny, she didn't look Druish, the, a Druish princess. I mean, you're right about all the, there was really a very like, you know, in your face Jewish aspect to their humor. I don't know the answer, but um, it's something. Okay. Well, I'm not going to make you talk for the rest of the car ride. Um, but let me tell you about the second um, yes, please. The long distance hitchhike. And that was to get home for Thanksgiving, I guess, um, in probably, um, why didn't I have a car then? Hmm. From East Lansing. So 1971? No, 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 no. We're in, the, we're in the 60s here. And it might have been um, for... Um, in 1964, a uh, kid who lived down the hall from me, uh, who had an old Ford with a large engine that he'd put in, he was from Nebraska. He had never seen the ocean, so we drove east. It took, of course, a day and a half. Uh, and then we turned around after about a day and went back. But anyway, uh, probably the next year, I went out someplace on the highway in East Lansing and I got picked up, and the guy said, yeah, I'm going to New York. So that was one ride. Wow. From, uh, no, excuse me, I got partway to Detroit, and then I got picked up there, and he took me, and he dropped me at the uh, bus station, right outside the bus station at about 3.30 in the morning. And so I went up and... Um, bought a ticket had i ever been on an inner city bus before i don't think so so i bought the ticket and um they said yeah it told me where to go and it was to go at i don't know five o'clock it was going to be a local but i sat down and i'll never forget that um some i don't know what he looks like now but some sort of young man uh comes kind of quickly going through the bus station calling out anybody want to suck my cock <laughs> uh and at, that, por at port authority at port authority yeah and you were and what did people do just let well, him well there weren't many people there at the time and uh no one took him up on on his offer <laughs> as, as far as i know look at the basalt over there the um wow yeah 
But of course, he was probably in the right place for that question. To oh, be. I mi the bus was to leave shortly thereafter. And when the time came, I went back up to the ticket window and I said, well, where's the bus? And they said, you're supposed to go down to the bus itself. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Did you okay. miss it? Yeah. All right. Uh, and four, 50 years later, I didn't learn that. No. So I said, what am I doing now? Well, there's one leaving at 5 o'clock or something. It was a local. You talk about taking the train out of New York and having it stop at Rye, Mamaroneck. Right. This thing just did about the same, and it was the bus. And then finally around, I don't know, 9 in the morning, someplace around Boston, I just got out and probably went to a payphone, called my father, and he came and picked me up because wow. I couldn't stand it any longer. So well, that was you're not a criticism, but you're a pretty impatient person. <laughs> and uh, and it's funny, like in our our um, trips as kids, we would drive down to Hilton Head, for instance, for spring break, which is great. Um, but we wouldn't listen to a lot of radio in the car. And, you know, you kind of just like just made it happen. How did you ever survive in a scenario where you had to take the local bus like did you have books? Did you make conversation with people? Oh. Wow, look at Mount Hood, Dad. Oh, yeah. I can't, I can't remember that part of it. What did you do with yourself? What, what did I do on Wednesday night in Charlotte waiting for the uh, 8 o'clock or 9.45 plane? I had, mm, what, four hours to kill. For me, that's a lot. Um, yeah, but you had a bar, you had t sports on TV, you could go, you know, walk around, go to the bookstore or look by a newspaper. I mean, if you're trapped on a bus, well, I, plus I, you weren't drinking then or you probably didn't have very much money. I mean, what was, you yeah, know, no, I, but at Charlotte, I went, they have the rocking chairs there. It took me a while to wait because, of course, the rocking chairs are immediately taken. I sat there and I tried to cool down because I was so mad at myself, so angry at myself for uh, missing the plane anyway. Um, okay, well, last topic. Yep. Um, I hope we're not missing any. We've got a viewpoint in the Dalles we're, we're going for. So we're, if, we're not going to miss this whole vista based on this podcast because it's pretty unlandline to actually be podcasting now and not just taking it in. But we have to get it in. Um, sort of a nice, dusty, kind of the same color as like the new camo that the – Rumsfeld administration brought out before the Iraq <laughs> invasion. So, um, rocks. There's a sign that says rocks. We're going through a corridor of basalt. I mean, yes, rocks. So, and the and the river must have the the old river, the larger river, which was a glacier, carved this all out, right? That's what happened here. How is this big wide gully made by the Earth? Um, floods. Gotcha the, the um, post-glacial floods, which happened a number of times, were so, they're beyond being able to, to describe, but they'd be halfway up uh, here. Wow. The, the, they're the floods that brought um, huge boulders into the Willamette Valley on rafts of ice when the, when the um, dams broke uh, near uh, Missoula. So here's Here's uh, a dam now, but not an ice dam, a man-made dam. This is not. Is this Bonneville? No, this no. is not. This is a some sort of other dam. But we can see the major power lines going up. Right, you know, these T-bone with the Facebook servers. So I've always told myself if I was going to make a terrorist attack, it would be to explode all the Facebook servers in Prineville. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about, and it's a little bit um, meta on the podcast. You actually did a lot of creative projects similar to the podcast in their own way um, in your earlier years. I don't know if we can match up the number of books you sold with the number of podcast listens I have. Luckily for me, people listen over and over, so I get kind of some positive reinforcement because of that. But you self-published a couple of books. You used to do walking tours. A lot of it was around Nantucket because you really fell in love with Nantucket. To this day, you still do the Nantucket calendar, which is approaching its 40th year where you take photos of Nantucket all through the season. And then 43rd year, 43rd year. Sorry. Um, do you, you know, 
did you wish those things to become your career and then settle into a, a, a way to make money or were they always because I personally am always struggling with whether I should just quit all my more professional um, aspirations and bartend and then write and podcast, which I'm not going to do because I have a kid and I've tried that in the past and hasn't worked out. Um, but, you know, you're never actually going to make a creative success story of yourself if you don't go full bore and work on it all the time. That's how that's how artists truly succeed is they work at their craft. So can you just, you know, at 43 years of making something creative, can you just comment on that outlet for yourself and whether, you know, you wish you had done it a different way or whether you're happy the way it turned out? No, those were all all hobbies. And um, as far as self-publishing things, um, they either they either broke even or in the case of uh, the calendar, um, make a little money. But they are creative outlets. I, um, for instance, I've gotten all excited about doing a jigsaw puzzle of Nantucket. It's about ready to go, working with um, my niece, I guess you'd say, and look how fast that train's going, because it's on the flat. And um, for the fun of it, to see what it's going to be like, and um, I'm sure it'll it'll uh, make money, because I know my retailers, but no, though I would never have done uh, those kinds of things uh, f- and think that I could... Um, could earn as much money as I felt that I needed to have. So you didn't ever aspire to have something go big and then and and be able to quit your other sources of income. You were doing it as a, as a passion. Yes. No. Oh, I do have something that I think could go big. Absolutely. Um, do you want to share it now or is no, it a secret? No. But I do need, as I said, I need your help. Will uh, with creating one of those powerpoints. Okay. Because part of this uh, project requires visuals. Okay. And um, someone would need to be able to, like me, to show them one after another or um, as part of what you might call a performance. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's it. Um, be good and be gone is the model of landlines. So um, is there, do you have any closing notes or do you want to say hi to... Any of your fans that are out there listening, we know there's some crossover between our fans. Well, I'd like to say uh, that I've been able to remember that uh, this is not a blog, and it's a it's landline because I've connected it. At my age, you know, you have to have mnemonics and various things with Land Shark. Like Land, land Shark. What What's Land Shark? Oh, oh Land Shark from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, what I don't it? know. Tell us the story. Uh, you'd see the in, the. Um, inside of an apartment and there'd be a couple people there you know a couple and there'd be a uh, knock on the door and he would say to her oh don't open the door it's land shark uh pizza oh it's a pizza no don't open it uh, uh, um supervisor oh well opens the door and who's in there well land shark of course comes in and the, the head goes over the woman you know, the jaws go over the woman. Uh, and they pull the land shark thing time after time. And it was just as funny every single time they did it. All right. Well, thanks for being on Landline. And uh, we'll have you back. We'll call you on the phone. Um, 2758. I'll always remember my number. So uh, maybe you can work. When you remember your number, you can call the Landline at 503-894-8480 and, and remind us on the answering machine. What well, it thanks. Was. You, you, um, there's something called a let's see a captive audience yeah and um i was a uh, captive guest well oh last coda to our to our um our performance here half my listeners are in australia huh and i think it's because there's a tv show there called landline and they all googled it (laughs) but they keep hitting play so (laughs) literally half of my few hundred listeners are in australia every week so you love australia right uh, absolutely, parts of it and that we've been to. I, um, I guess my favorite, the Sydney Zoo, is certainly one of them. Okay, well, uh, keep, terrific. Keep I hope list- that little bird there, is the world's smallest uh, goose, is okay. I hope Australia invites me to perform live in in Sydney, maybe at the zoo. All right, it's oh, until next time. That's Landline Podcast. Bye.
Music by the Pitchfork Revolution out of Bend, Oregon. The best thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend. Call the landline at 503-894-8480. Hey, those in, in the know know that if you listen till the end, there's always a little nugget there. It's kind of like a Green Day album with a secret song. Check that, Landline. Hey, um, thanks so much for listening to Landline. The support is limited in scope, but die hard. And uh, that's all you can ask for a podcast that has never advertised on social media or done anything to promote itself. Got to get those Landline business cards printed in any event, quick update on Rick Steves, our nemesis. I don't know if any of you new listeners know, but the number one goal of Landline, other than to have everyone stop listening to their cell phone and therefore destruct itself, is to um, beat Rick Steves, world-famous travel and leisure guide, Rick Steves. And I will say we have 25% of the hits that he does on his, land, on his Landline, on his podcast. And... Uh, he like gets paid a bunch of money by PBS, so I'm I mean I'm in like fifty three thousand dollars on this thing in the in the red. So I, I'd say that keep it up is what I'm saying. Landline podcast, I love you guys. Spread the word, that is key. Tell a friend. I hate to shell, but I gotta do it. Tell a friend. Growth is exponential. Happy Thanksgiving. Buy local. And uh, keep it simple. Salt, butter, pepper garlic all the good stuff all right landline you're listening to landline